Welcome to the Hudson Wesleyan Church Podcast, a recording of the weekly messages of Pastor Wesley Rowan during the Sunday worship service. We trust the time you spend listening will enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here is Pastor Wes. If you would like, can turn to Romans chapter 4. If you would like a digital copy of that, there's a QR code in your bulletin insert you can scan that will bring that up immediately for you. The verses we're going to be looking at are written by the Apostle Paul. We will get to that in a minute. Last week we talked about the creation, how God spoke things into existence, and how Jesus is the light that comes in the darkness. Some time has now passed since creation. We don't have time to focus on every story from the Old Testament, but we're hitting some of them during this sermon series that help point us to Jesus, as all of Scripture does. And so time has passed, as Darcy read for us. Sin has entered into the world. Death through sin. Noah has built his ark. God has wiped clean the earth the Tower of Babel, the dispersing of peoples, the continued tension of sin in the world. It's all there. It's all there. And kind of out of nowhere in the book of Genesis, God begins this story that is going to eventually lead to the coming of Jesus the Messiah. He finds a man named Abraham and says, you're the guy. You're the guy, your family, you're the people that I'm going to use to bless the entire world. And how am I going to bless the entire world? We'll go back to the Genesis 3 account where sin enters in the world and God promised that it was through the seed of woman that he was going to crush the head of sin. You're the guy, Abraham. And so he calls Abraham out of the place where he lived and takes him to a new place. And he says to him, I will make you a great nation. Now that's a pretty, that's a pretty impressive promise, isn't it? For God to say, hey, you're going to be the centerpiece of all of this. You're going to be a great nation. If God tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, a hundred years from now, your family is going to be more well-known than any family the world has ever seen. 200 years from now, everybody will be talking about you. And a couple thousand years from now, the entire world will be different because of your family. You might have a hard time believing it, but it sure sounds impressive. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a bigger family than you can imagine. Now, if you're 20 or 30, and God says, you know, you're going to have a bigger family than you think you're going to have, and your kids are going to have more kids than you think they're going to have, and their kids are going to have more kids than you think they're going to have, and within a few generations, there's going to be a whole bundle of you, you might say, okay, 
But there was one problem. God tells this to Abraham when Abraham is 99 years old. Whatever Abraham is still hoping to accomplish in his life, having a big family is not on the list any longer. By the time you've reached 99 and don't have any kids, you've probably, you've probably let, let the idea of having a big family sort of float on out of your head. And God says, not only are you going to have a big family, it's going to change the world. We don't have time to linger on the ins and outs of all the details of the story, but of course that's hard for Abraham to believe, really hard for Sarah to believe, and so they get busy helping God fulfill his promise. Have you ever done that? You felt like God was leading you in a direction, but you just didn't think that he could really get you there in a timely fashion, so you decided that what he really needed was your help. So Abraham and Sarah get right on it, helping God fulfill the promise that he had given them. She was not able to conceive, and so he bears a child through her servant, Hagar. And God comes back and says, let me be more clear. Sarah is going to have a baby. And as difficult and impossible as it may have been for Abraham to believe that he was going to have much of a family at the age of 99, the fact that his wife is 90 doesn't add any help to the equation. I obviously don't have any firsthand experience, but I know many of you who have had children. We have had children. Carrie's had our kids. And I've watched that process up close of what those nine months look like. And with all due respect to my children, what the after years of those nine months feel like. And I watched Carrie go through that three times in the space of a decade. I am sure that Sarah wanted for God to do whatever he said he was going to do. But when God said, you're 90 years old and you are going to carry a child for nine months and then raise a child, a boy nonetheless, I wonder if she thought, God, you know, it sounds nice. I've always wanted to have a child. But if you're so keen on miracles and giving me the ability to have kids, couldn't you have done it when I had a little more energy? <laughs> when I wasn't as sore? And so she laughs, and not just at the idea that she's going to bear a child at 90, yes, but I think at the notion of what would that even entail for my body to go through that. Nine decades into life. And yet, she conceives. The promised child did not come through their scheming, but it came in spite of all of the limitations. And Isaac, 
a child of laughter is born. Isaac will give us Jacob. Jacob will give us 12 tribes. The 12 tribes will become the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12, one of the 12 tribes of Israel will be named for his son Judah. from which will eventually come King David, from whose line eventually will come the Lion of Judah. Where a young man and a young woman barely married will witness the birth that she gives to a baby whose name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. All because God said to Abraham, I know you're pushing a hundred, but I've got a plan for your family. And it changed the world. It changed us. It's the reason we're sitting here today. The child of the promise to the barren parents in their 90s. So Paul picks up this theme in the New Testament. He writes about it a couple of different times there to the church at Rome. One of them, I want to read a portion for you. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we're in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Paul is talking about the promise that Abraham was given. And he says it was not because of the law that Abraham received that promise. Because Paul's been talking about the difference between the law, all the rules that people try to follow, and righteousness or faith. So trying to please God by obeying and doing all the stuff, or pleasing God by knowing who he is and allowing him to change the kind of people we are. Do you see the difference? Faith looks at God and says, God, you're going to have to do something in me that I cannot do for myself. Law looks at myself and says, I'm going to have to whip this into shape so that I will please God. And Paul's talking about the juxtaposition of these two realities, these polar opposites of each other. And he says, it's not the law that allowed Abraham to experience that offspring that had been promised to him. Because if you're just depending on the law, if he had just tried to please God by doing stuff, that's not faith. That's not righteousness. And then he kind of shifts gears and says, by the way, who are the real offspring of Abraham? Who are the people who are the chosen ones, the ones that God says he wants to have a relationship with? They are not just people who trace their lineage back to Abraham. That's the law. That's just saying, oh, yep, I got, all the, I got all the pieces in place. Remember that some of the Jews in that day were very fond of talking about their heritage with Abraham. And Paul says, it's not your heritage with Abraham that 
makes you have a relationship with God. It is faith. It is righteousness that is, that is given to us because of our faith and what Christ has done. Just like Abraham was not able to accomplish the birth of that promised child through his own means, it had to be the divine intervention of God, so we are not able to achieve our relationship with God by just connecting the right dots, being in the right church, believing the right things. None of that puts us in the right relationship with God. What puts us in right relationship with God is the stuff that he's doing in us as he forgives our sins and transforms us into other people, different kinds of people. I want to pick up in verse 18 then of chapter 4 of Romans and read these few verses for you. Against all hope, Paul says, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. He believed that God could do what God said he was going to do. Now, it took Abraham a little while to get there, but he believed that God could do what he said he was going to do. And so he believed that when God said, your offspring are going to be too numerous to count. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He looked at himself and he looked at his wife and he said, we're not dead yet, but we are not in offspring producing mode. Those days are past us. As far as the lineage of our family, we might as well be dead. That's what Paul says. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So Paul's writing about all this thousands of years after the fact. He was persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised to do. Remember that. He was persuaded that God had the ability, the power to do exactly what he had promised to do. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. How is Abraham righteous? Because he believed. Now listen, the words that was credited to him as righteousness were not written for him only but also for us. Why for us? Because God will credit us with righteousness if we believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. He was delivered to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Here's what Paul is saying. He's looking back on the Abraham story and he is saying, not only did Abraham believe, and that is what made him righteous, he trusted God, but likewise, we are heirs of that same belief if we will believe, if we will quit trying to do and start allowing him to do in us. And he says, what is it that we're supposed to believe? Well, we're supposed to believe and another child of the promise. The Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, which is their son, picture from the Old Testament is pointing blatantly to the Mary, 
Joseph, Jesus picture from the New Testament. It's a pure foreshadowing of another birth that was promised. See, the prophet in the Old Testament, sometime, of course, after the story of Abraham, said these words, a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son. Can I ask you a question? What is the only scenario you can think of that is less likely to produce a baby than a 90-year-old womb? Only one that has never experienced the act of sexual reproduction. Because while 90-year-old conception seems far-fetched, it still has all the necessary components. Mary didn't even have that. God promised Abraham, your 90-year-old wife is going to conceive and bear you a son. And then through the prophet, he said, and I'll do you one better, a virgin will conceive. And I think if Abraham and Sarah had been alive when the prophet spoke those words, or when the angel appeared to Mary, or when the angel appeared to Joseph, I think if Abraham and Sarah had been alive, they would have said, don't laugh, it can happen. Because they knew it could happen. A virgin is going to conceive. And the child that is promised in that instance, also a child of promise, the promised one, is the fulfillment of the foreshadowing that took place in the story of Abraham and Sarah. What does that mean for us? I'm not here to say that any ladies in their retirement years should be expecting to have children. As far as we know, other than divine intervention, virgin abstinence has still not produced any babies, so I'm not here to talk about that. What is the matter? What matters is that Paul's idea that he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to catch on to is that us doing and identifying with all of the right things doesn't make us in relationship with God. The only thing that fulfills the promise is the divine act of God himself. This child of the promise Jesus, who comes to us in the New Testament, who grows up to live a perfect, sinless life and to die on the cross, he did so to deal with all of the brokenness and insufficiency that we possess. Just like God brings divine intervention into the life of Abraham and Sarah to overwhelm their shortcomings 
and produce the child that he had promised them. So he overwhelms us through the work of this one Jesus who died on the cross. And was, what does it say right there in what we read from Paul, right? At the very end, it says he was delivered to death for our sins and he was raised for our justification. Through that work that Jesus did, he, he comes into our lives. He intervenes in our shortcomings and he is able to meet you where you are. Every mistake that you've made, every lack that you have, every area where you failed, he is able to meet you there. But let me go beyond that, my friends. He doesn't just meet you where you're short. He doesn't just say, oh, you need a little more patience? All right, I'll, I'll top that off for you. You know, when we go, um, well, I don't know if you do, but I do. When I need to have the oil changed in my car, I go find somebody who can change the oil in my car. Not because I don't know how to change the oil in my car, but because I'd rather have somebody else do it. And unless I'm not in a rush at all, then I might do it myself. But that's rarely the case. So when you go in and you pull in to get your car oil changed, they always say, you know, we're going to change your oil, we're going to change your filter, and then we're going to top off all of your fluids, and we're going to check all the air in your tires and all that stuff, okay? And I love this little game that I play with the guy who works at the oil change place where he comes to the window and says, did you know that your tire was low by three pounds? And I'll be like, if I knew it was low by three pounds, do you think we'd be sitting here? Or... Yes, I've known it was low for by three pounds forever, but it was three pounds. I wasn't going to put it in. You're here. You've got an air hose. You put it in. It's like when my dentist asked me if I floss since the last time that I was there, and I'm like, oh, sure, yep. Um, I think you were here the last time that happened, buddy. Um, but they offer to do all the little things that you, that you are lacking in, right? You know? Well, well, we'll make sure that your windshield washer fluid's topped off and all oh, your coolant needs a little extra. And do you want us to change your air filter for an extra $150 or whatever it is? Like, we'll do all the little things to get your car ready to go. And sometimes I think, not to be irreverent, but sometimes I kind of think that in the backs of our minds, that's sort of how we see our relationship with Jesus. We know we need him. But we sort of, if we could paint a picture, we think of him as going around under the hood of our life, just topping off all the stuff that we're short on. You need some patience? Shh, there, we got that. Oh, your anger's getting the better of you today. We're going to try to... We don't feel, oh, you're a little... You're, you haven't been doing enough of you know, good works. You haven't been really as kind to people as you could have been. And we're just going to make you all the better person that you're supposed to be. And Jesus does that. He changes you. But can I tell you something? Jesus has no interest in topping off your personality to make you a better person if you have no interest in him changing the very nature of who you are. See, what Jesus wants to do first and foremost is forgive us of our sin problem because that's the real problem. See, the story of Abraham and Sarah, the problem with them conceiving was not whether or not they were 90-some years old. It was whether or not they were going to believe that God could do what he said he was going to do. And because they believed, it was credited to them as righteousness. Paul just said that. So our real problem is not whether or not we can be a better person. It's whether or not we are going to give up control of our lives and allow Jesus to forgive us and change us into the people he's promised to make us. That is the key. 
And I want to tell you, my friends, many a person has sat through church service after church service hearing about how to have faith and how to live a better life and how to be a better person and has never gone away a changed, transformed individual because the one sticking point is whether or not they're willing to believe that God will radically forgive them and change them into his image. And I'm glad that you are here, and I'm glad that I pastor this church, and I'm glad for this community, but if people's lives are not being surrendered to Jesus Christ, all we're doing is running around under the hood topping off fluids that are going to have to be topped off again tomorrow or three months from now or six months from now. That's all we're doing. In Romans chapter 9, a little later on, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but in Romans chapter 9, Paul continues picking up on this theme. He says, it's not the children of the flesh who are children of God. See, after God did that miracle in Abraham and Sarah, the children of Israel then always pointed back to that as their identity. We are children of Abraham. We're children of Abraham. He says, it's not the children of flesh, because by the way, we know that Abraham had another entire family line that wasn't even the line of the promise. When he had a son by Hagar, that son produced his own great nation. He says, it's not the children of the flesh that get the identity. But it is the children of the promise. Let's interpret that into modern day. It's not the people who attend church or who have the label of Wesleyan or Baptist or Evangelical or Christian who are really the children of God. It is those who have allowed themselves to be identified by the promised one. Now, we are here, and we're going to talk about this in that class we're starting next week. Like We are here because of that relationship with him but we cannot put our identity of who we think we are ahead of what Jesus is doing in our lives. Do you see? That's why we have way more in common with other churches than we have indifferent. Okay? Other churches that are meeting around Hudson this morning, they have, they have some different takes maybe than we do. There's maybe a little different way of doing things or thinking about things or a different history about why they have their own theology that's maybe a little different. But people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are transformed by him, that is the identity that makes all the difference. So Abraham... teaches us something. He teaches us two things, really. One, God is able to do whatever God pleases in us. Listen, whatever your shortcomings are, they are not overwhelming to God. They're just not. But Abraham teaches us a second thing. The only way to get to where God wants you to be is to surrender your idea of control your idea of fixing it, your idea of making it better for God's promised way of making it. 
I want to encourage you, my friends. The child of the promise that pointed from the Old Testament to the New Testament tells us that the God of the universe is interested in redeeming his people. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, it was for redemption. But it was not a part-time offer. It wasn't a, well, follow me and do this when it's convenient for you or when you're in real serious trouble, but the rest of the time, you be you. That's not what he's offering. It didn't work. Until Sarah and Abraham got their hands out of the mix and let God do it, it wasn't going to happen. So what about you this week? I suspect that we all believe in God or we probably wouldn't be here. I suspect that probably most of us have surrendered our lives to him. But I want to call you to that ongoing point of faith. Faith. Ongoing trust. Ongoing surrender. Let him take control. Let him be all that we need. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we get ready to close this morning. One of the reasons I wanted to do this series on the Old Testament was because we sometimes think of the Old Testament as being a lot of law and rules, and, and maybe that, that is true. Also because the Old Testament is really there to help us get a clearer picture of what Jesus is up to. And these accounts, these stories, help point us in that direction. This week, will you be a person like Abraham who says, Lord, if you want to do it, then do it. If you want to change me, then change me. If you want to be about your business in ways that are beyond what I think is feasible, then you go ahead and do it. but be ready. See, when Abraham says, God, yeah, I'll follow you. Yeah, you want to make me a great nation? Yeah, I'll follow you. He followed him. And then God took him down some paths that required total sacrifice, total surrender, and that he never could have imagined. He will do the same for you if you will let him. Lord, we admit we often muddle things up by trying to do things our way. And even when we're following you, Lord, we often, we often want to hang on to the parts of us that we enjoyed the most, that, we, that kind of filled our human wants and desires. Lord, may it not be so for us today. May we be fully surrendered by faith in righteousness to you. Lord, for those who are in our circle of influence, who do not know you or who've gotten away from following you and for participating in your body. Lord, may we be an encouragement. Let your light shine through us that they may see you and be drawn back to you, we pray. Bless us with your grace and peace as we go from this place today. In Christ's name, amen. May the Lord bless you, my friends. You are dismissed. 
This message is a ministry of Hudson Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to see lives transformed for the glory of God. For more information, you may contact the church at 517-448-6411 or at hudsonwesleyan.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you.